It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil from the farmer of fury. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is the start of another week and there is no shortage of shocking news to be getting our teeth into uh, and to be getting our heads around. First up, we're asking why this country seems powerless to stop the crime epidemic spreading gang culture throughout the land. Just this weekend, we had two high-profile footballers practically in hiding from an Eastern European gang who have threatened to, in their words, take everything they have. We have Noel Gallagher bowing to move out of London after someone was stabbed on his own street. And as if that wasn't bad enough, we are now told that vulnerable kids are being recruited into crime in chicken shop gangs where they're offered free food for signing up at fast food outlets when they're playing truant from school. Thankfully, Boris Johnson is vowing to make the Tories the party for law and order, but he's got a long way to go to reverse the appalling state of justice in this country. Can he do it? Dominic Cummings thinks he can. Dominic Cummings thinks it is absolutely and utterly crazy the way the justice system works in this country. 0344 499 1000. Coming up, we'll find out just what Caroline Lucas has been smoking. Yesterday, she called for an emergency cabinet of national unity with only women allowed into it. Hardly anyone else's definition of unity, of course, but apparently it's not enough to stop Brexit. You have to do it by excluding all men. Maybe she could bring Theresa May back. Remember her? 0344 499 1000. Later on, we'll be asking if you have started self-medicating following the news that it now takes up to 15 days to get an appointment with your GP. And we'll investigate the strange case of Jeffrey Epstein, uh, a guy who was able to commit suicide while on suicide watch in a prison. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, we've all been there with children, haven't we? When you go to see the doctor, uh, your kid's got some form of tonsillitis or earache or some recurring um, minor problem, which is very painful, for which antibiotics is the answer. And you don't get the antibiotics the first time you go. You get told, will it be a good idea just to wait and see what it is? You know, it might be viral, in which case antibiotics are not going to be helpful. We've already been told on this very show by a GP that, that GPs are, in fact, 
discouraged from handing out too many um, antibiotics and too much penicillin for a very good reason, and that is because not only do they not want people to become immune, they also want people to have less money spent on them per capita. But let's talk to a doctor, a man who will know more than me about these things, Dr Mark Sanford-Wood, member of the BMA GP committee uh, and a GP down in Devon. Uh, Mark, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Morning, Mike. How thanks, are you? Yeah, very well indeed. Thanks for joining us. Now, I mean, it is a, an ongoing problem. We talk about this quite a lot on this show, about how difficult it can be to see a GP, particularly in some very busy communities where, you know, the population has gone up a little bit, uh, where more people have moved in, more houses have been built. They haven't really taken account of that, and it's more people trying to see fewer and fewer GPs. But I'm worried we're hitting some kind of point here, uh, Mark, where people are beginning to use antibiotics sort of as the DIY cure, if you like? Well, I, I mean, that, that is a, a, a concern. It, it's been a concern for, for a number of years, to be honest, Mike. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, just just to pick up on, on on your intro piece there, I mean the reason that we don't prescribe antibiotics in a lot of minor self-limiting illnesses is because they don't work, uh, and we don't need them. I, I'm not sure that the uh, that the GP who who told you that, uh, that that we don't prescribe them because we don't want to spend money on people. I think you know, that may have been a bit tongue in cheek. Um, I know it wasn't tongue in cheek. No, it was definitely not tongue in cheek. He said because I've always believed that there's a reason why when I take my kids to the doctor. They eventually give them antibiotics, but they don't give them straight away because it's almost like a, you know, a, a, a tiered process, if you like. Yeah, I mean, if, if, somebody, if somebody turns up and they've got a clear bacterial infection that an antibiotic is going to help, then we'll give them antibiotics straight away. There's no question of that. But the problem is that most uh, self-limiting minor illness, you know, sore throats, earache, uh, coughs and colds, um, antibiotics don't help them at all. And really, when you give somebody an antibiotic in those circumstances, you know you're not helping the illness, and you're probably actually just going to give them side effects such as diarrhea and probably a bit of nausea. Well, I have to, I'm sorry uh, to then, disagree with you, Mark, but that is an entirely opposite to my experience. I've been in many doctor's surgeries. I've got four children over the course of time and many of the, those times I've known perfectly well that if they gave them some penicillin they'd be fine. Uh, they get the penicillin eventually and they recover but what happens in the meantime is they have four, four days or five days of, of uncomfortable pain. Well, okay... So, so the evidence shows that in most cases people get better anyway, and they usually get better around about a week after the illness started. Yeah. So very often what happens is somebody comes in, we see them, we say, look, you really don't need antibiotics, and then what happens is they will come back a few days later. And very often GPs at that point may actually think, well, maybe, maybe we ought to give some antibiotics. But of course the, the patient then is just about to get better anyway, and so it appears that it's the antibiotics that are done. So what you're telling me now is that you give out antibiotics when they're not required but you don't give them out when they are uh, I, I think that that's most GPs just don't do that. That's what you've <laughs> just said, though. I think most GPs don't do that. Right. But, of course, look, the, 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 the appropriateness of using antibiotics in certain circumstances is a complex field, and there's lots of evidence around it. Most, you know, most of the time that you go see your GP, you know, they, they will they'll take a full history, they'll examine you, and, uh, you know, and, and then the use of antibiotics will be based on the evidence that they've got in your case. Uh, and, so, and we don't always get this right, you know. I mean, it's... Medicine is a, is a complicated thing, and some, sometimes um, it doesn't always go according to plan. But certainly, what 
what we are trying to do in those circumstances is provide people with the best best care that they can. Sure, but it's not getting any better, is it? Because even um, your own organisation and certainly other doctors that I speak to on this show uh, say that it is very difficult to retain GPs. There's a shortage of GPs, effectively. We're now being told that, on average, you could wait 15 days to get an, an appointment, by which point you're either better, as you've said, or you're dead, you know? So there's something wrong with the system. Yeah, well, well, there's a massive shortage of GPs, and we've been highlighting this for three, four, five years. I, I think it's important just just to point out to to your listeners, uh, Mike, that the the survey that we're talking about was run by Pulse, and the question that they asked was, how long do patients have to wait in your surgery for non-urgent appointments? Yeah. So if you are if you are sick today and you need somebody today, then pretty much all surgeries run an urgent same-day system so that you can be seen or you can at least get advice from a doctor or a health professional the same day. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the idea that, um, that no matter how sick you are, I'm, I'm sorry, you're just going to have to wait a fortnight. That, yeah. that isn't oh, well, true. I mean, let's, that, let's, hope, was, let's hope we're never doing that story, you know, because then it would be, the NHS would be completely unfit for purpose. I mean, of course, if you've got an emergency, you should be seen. But the point yeah. is an awful lot of people who are unwell... Um, uh, who need to be, you know, feeling better in order to get back to work or to be able to look after their kids, you know, um, can't get an, op uh, 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 an opportunity to see a GP because it's very difficult. Most, you know, again, personal experience, you know, you ring a number which is constantly engaged. The only way you can actually finally get somewhere is to turn up in person at around about 8.30 in the morning when it opens and there's a big queue of people and you go in, you wait your turn. It's a very inefficient system considering all of the online business that we have now. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you, Mike. And, it, and it's you know, but but I'm, I'm just saying that the, the survey was about was about non-urgent appointments. Yes. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, it's got to be fit for purpose. And we've got to be able to see people who are sick same day. The problem that we've got basically here is that we've got a reducing pool of GPs. If you go back a decade, we we had over thirty-two thousand GP full-time GPs in the UK. We, we've now got twenty-eight thousand. Uh, and, and, you know, in 2015, when we had 30,000 GPs, we were promised an extra 5,000 by Jeremy Hunt. And here we are, he promised them by 2020. Here we are, we've got a year to go, and we're actually, we're, it's not that we haven't got 5,000 extra, we're actually 1,100 less than we had back then. Yes. And actually, And why is Jeremy it Hunt, so difficult to fill the jobs? Well, the, a, a, number, a number of problems. The first is, it's a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. The workload is going up and up and up. The intensity of the work is, is, is extremely high. And quite a lot of people, you know, are finding that they just, they just can't, uh, they, 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 they can't, can't do full-time general practice. So they haven't cut back their hours so that they can just simply cope with the intensity. Um, we have had a problem with attracting new doctors, young doctors into general practice. I think that's starting to turn around now. Um, and, but more, more, more than all of those things is the amount of resources going into general practice. The, that there has been a clear squeeze on the resources coming into general practice. And we have only just this year reached a deal with the government for a big programme of investment in general practice. But of course, that's going to take five years for that to come up dream fully uh, and so at the moment we, we are at the, almost the lowest ebb where we're suffering from uh, serious uh, shortages in terms of resources uh, and that help hasn't arrived yet 
despite us having uh, signed off that deal. Is there any connection between the kind of privatising, if you like, not really privatising, it's not quite the right word, but, but the kind of businessizing, if you want, of GP surgeries, where, you know, individual GPs now tend to kind of work with other GPs and they tend to run their own sort of clinic, if you like, uh, and they are responsible for how much money that makes. I mean, has that had an effect? No, not really. I mean, that's been the way that general practice has been organised since 1948, and and before then, in fact. So it's not it's not any different to, to how it's been how it's been before. I think there are some new entrants into the GP market. You mentioned some of the um, you know the the, the online um, services that are there, and people where, where you can phone, you can get a Skype consultation. Um, so so that's starting to happen, but the numbers are very small at the moment. I mean, that the, you know the vast majority of people in Britain. Uh, are, are treated by, you know, their traditional GP and their wider practice team just in the same way that they always have. See, I've always believed that an awful lot of perhaps those who visit GPs on a regular basis don't need to go there. Uh, and I think that's also putting a strain on the system. One of the things I've always suggested would be a good idea, and I'm sure you'll shrink away from this at the first uh, uh, possibility, uh, is to charge people. Because I think if you put a little fee on going to see your GP, it would discourage a lot of people from going as often as they do. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because actually the evidence is that it that it doesn't do that. In, in, in parts of the world where they do have, uh, you know, charging in, in the way that you describe, you know, say £5 or £10. Yeah, I think a fiver would be good. Yeah, but it, it, the evidence is it doesn't change people's people's approach. Um, and actually, in, in some ways, if, if you're now paying £5 for the consultation, there's a kind of message that that's what the consultation's worth, when in fact, actually, you know, your average consultation with a GP probably costs the NHS something like £20 or £30. Um, yeah, you know, but I mean, uh, that's a sort of reverse argument again, isn't it? Because you're basically saying that if you get something for nothing, it's worth more than if you're paying for it. Um, well, except the danger is that if you're paying a tiny bit, then you think you're entitled then to whatever it is you want because you paid for it, even though you haven't paid anything like the, the, the yeah, real but I cost think, of But it. I think if you operate upon the basis of how, what is it you want to achieve here? You want to achieve fewer people going to the GP, don't you? Because there's not yeah. enough GPs. So in order to do that, surely the best way to do it is to weed out those people who don't really need to go. Because I think whenever I look around inside a GP surgery, you can see that there are people there who have come, you know, to have themselves looked at, maybe to have a conversation with somebody because they haven't got anybody else to talk to. You know, there's an awful lot of people there who perhaps are not absolutely required to be there. Yeah, well, there, there may be, there may not. Sometimes you can't tell that someone's ill just by looking at them in the waiting room. That's kind of part of the point of being there to see your GP. But what I would say is, if, if, if what you're saying is you want to try and reduce the number of, let's call them unnecessary attendances, yes. I, mean, I think that there, 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 might, there might be an issue with, with, with using that terminology, but let, let's run with it just for the moment. If that's what we're trying to do, what I'm saying is the evidence is that introducing a £5 charge doesn't work. Well, what is so that what evidence, I'm saying exactly? Is, so, well, e evidence from elsewhere in the world. Well, like what? Where like, from where? Tried. Well, from Australia, they have a, a similar charging system in France, in Germany. So it, 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 what I'm saying is the, the evidence is it doesn't make any impact. So if that's, what we're if that's the, the problem that we're trying to address, then let's look at ways that might actually reduce the, the, the number of people coming to see well, the Well, why GP do they do it in Germany and France and Australia if it doesn't work? Uh, well, you'd have to ask them, but I mean, the, the evidence is there and it's quite clear. So well, that's what, you what I'm saying is... I have to take your word for that. 
well, yeah, okay. So, but what I'm saying is, uh, actually, what would be better is to work out why these people are here. And actually, they obviously think they've got some sort of need. Now, maybe that need is better served elsewhere rather than at the GP surgery. So that's why we need to get people to consult with their pharmacists, for example. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and other, there, there's lots of uh, advice on, uh, on the internet and you know, websites and NHS Choices gives lots of information to people how they can care for themselves and their families. Well, this is why I was saying that people, people are going to start home and they're going to start medicating themselves, aren't they? They're going to start looking after themselves, which is not necessarily what you want when you're supposed to have universal health care, which is free at the point of delivery, which it clearly isn't. Well, if, if, but if you have very, uh, you know, minor self-limiting illness, you know, where 30 years ago, uh, you know, mum or dad might have simply said, well, okay, let's, let's give you some paracetamol, some ibuprofen maybe, some fluids, and let's see how things go, because that's... But that's, that's what you what get I've now an awful lot from the GP. That's the problem, and that's kind of what my beef is with the system, because I can do that already. If I take my kids to the GP, I don't want them to say, you know, give them some aspirin and see how they are in three days. I mean, I could have done that without coming in. Well, you wouldn't use aspirin in children because that, that, that's, uh, that, that, that's not safe, Mike. But, yeah, I, I, I take your point. That, well, that's, um, that's another but, good reason why you don't want people self-medicating then. Well, but it's a good reason why what we want is for people to be able to have access to good quality advice so that you can care for things at home, you know, homely remedies, um, because many of them do work. Uh, men, many illnesses, uh, you know, are, are, are self-limiting. Um, we're always dealt with at home by, by mum or dad or, or, or granny, uh, you know. So that's really one of the problems that we've had in recent years is that people's threshold for accessing the health service has fallen and there is less self-care being delivered at home and, and actually what we really need to do is, is address those societal changes that have led to people doing that. So you're saying you want to see more people self-medicate then? Uh, self-medicate appropriately and using good qualities safe advice which also tells people what to look out for what are the signs of an illness you know getting worse and the, the kind of signs that mean that they should escalate to either contacting their pharmacist or indeed their GP and then what it would mean is that we'd be seeing the people who had already applied some of the kind of stuff that you're being told mm. you go and see your GP uh, and, and then we can get at the people who really need us. Sounds a bit like a sort of Nirvana type situation but Dr Mark thanks very much indeed Dr Mark Sanford Wood uh, I'm not quite sure whether he wants more of us to visit the GP or less people to visit the GP. But how about this from John? And this absolutely will ring true with a lot of people. My son has eczema. Our GP won't give him the steroid cream that works for him on prescription because it's too expensive. I have to pay for it privately. Only on Friday we were talking about Avena, you know, the stuff that they give out for eczema, uh, which is apparently a private company producing it, uh, paying old uh, Jennifer Aniston to endorse it. Uh, we spent two million quid, apparently, on prescribing that to people last year in the NHS. Why? Would be my question. And if it is something which is privately made, uh, which you can buy over the counter, I don't think we should be prescribing it. But, John, you may have a good argument, in which case, please do call me. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We'll take your calls next uh, on Talk Radio. More gun talk from a water pistol from the farmer of fury. The independent republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Someday you will find me Champagne supernova in the sky. 
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. We've got loads of you who want to get on. We will get you all on. We're here till one o'clock, of course. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. Right now, though, we're going to take a move away from the slightly serious issues of your own health uh, for a slightly less serious issue of your own wealth. And uh, I thought I quite liked the way I did that. <laughs> Helena Nicklin is here, the Winebird. A very good morning to you, Helena. Good morning, Mike. Thank nice you so you. much for coming into our brand new. Well, they're sort of not quite brand new, but they feel still very brand new studios. It's new to me. I haven't been. You here. haven't been. In here, have no. you? Which is hard to believe because we've been here since about what April, I think. I so you're long overdue a visit. You are, of course, famously known as one of the three drinkers. That's um, correct. Which is not a, an epithet that uh, most people would want, but it's a TV show that you do on Amazon, right? <laughs> yeah, that's Tell right. us a bit about that first. Yes, well, we are three drinks experts who mm. travel the world tasting various types of drinks. Not always alcoholic, but you know. Yeah, mostly. it's not a bad old job. And when you're not doing that, you're writing about wine and you're travelling to exotic places like Argentina, which I think you were in not that long ago, yeah. uh, and Australia and, you know, uh, various other points, east, west, north and south. You're in here today, though, to tell us why we're getting ripped off because apparently, I didn't know this, but wine, which is the most widely drunk drink in the country, is being taxed out, you know, out of, into oblivion, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is. And, I mean... Today is the launch of a campaign to call on the government to lower that duty because it's all based on a really outdated thought that mm. wine is only drunk by the really wealthy middle classes and upper classes. Right. And actually, we've just had a survey come back, ONS data, national and regional, that states that wine is the nation's favourite drink from ordinary working people all the way up. Yeah, well, I mean, it's one of those drinks that's just taken off, hasn't it? I mean, I remember when I was a kid, my parents, if they had a drink at all in the evenings, which wasn't very often, they'd have a sort of a glass of whiskey or something like that. And then suddenly we went to university, my sister and I, and met loads of people and wine bars started opening. And as we're talking, as you can see, I'm talking about quite a long time ago, but kind of, you know, late 70s and suddenly there were wine bars and bistros and the pub wasn't just a place where you went if you were a bloke to have a pint of beer. And now, I mean, the numbers of, of, of shops that sell just wine, the numbers of on, on, you know, online retailers, you know, the supermarkets make a fortune out of it, and it's pretty cheap as well. It is cheap. I mean, what's interesting about this is 48% of the people in the survey assumed that beer was going to be the nation's favourite drink. And that's the duty on that has only gone up by 16% in mm. the last... 10 years, whereas right. for wine, it's 39%. Really? And it's all based on that outmoded idea. And so when you think about the fact that actually the average price of a bottle of wine now is £5.88, that's mm. a pretty democratic price. That is. And that's the level where people are really getting clobbered mm. on the exactly. duty. So, because when you read about, you know, the, the budget statement and the Chancellor's, you know, taxes that are going on, the sins that we commit and all of that, you only always hear about beer. You don't hear much about wine. You hear beer and spirit tax. You don't hear wine tax. Mm. So you're saying a bottle of wine has 39% tax on it? No, it's over the last 10 years, it's gone up. The duty oh, on wine has gone up by 39%. As a, when you compare that to 16% of beer, yeah. it's not really fair, especially mm. as more people are actually drinking wine. No, but if you take a £5 bottle of wine, the tax on that is 61%. Right. Because you have the duty and then you have the VAT on top of it as well. Right. And if you're buying a, bo a bottle of wine that costs £5, of course, uh, in a supermarket, but you're buying it in a restaurant, you're paying prop probably, what, 24, 25 quid for it? Well, yeah, you've got all the whole restaurant's mark up on that as well. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so what's the campaign aim? Are you trying to get them to reduce tax because, you know, 
good luck with that with any, <laughs> with any government, never mind the Tories. Yeah, I know. It's going to be tricky, but we just we want to make as much noise as possible before the next budget to really highlight the fact that actually everyone drinks wine. Why is it so unfairly taxed? We're not trying to say that wine shouldn't have duty on it because mm. all alcohol should. We just want to readdress that balance a little bit yeah. between wine, beer and spirits. Now, without wishing to introduce the dreaded B word into the conversation, you know, is there any likelihood, because you're an expert in the wine trade, yeah. is there any likelihood that there will be problems from the point of view of us importing anything from, from former European Union countries uh, or from other countries in the world? You know, we hear all the time about tariffs and stuff. I mean, me, me personally, I cannot see why any champagne manufacturer in, in France would, would ever want to put prices up so that they would sell less. It's not really about... It's not coming from Europe, that problem. I mean, duty and VAT is set by the UK government. But what we are seeing already, it's the absolute drop in sterling. Mm. That's that's what is exacerbating the problem. And another reason why we want to push this campaign out now, because that price difference is going to have to be passed on to consumers as well. So to have a huge duty increase on top of that seems even more unfair. Yeah, well, it really does. And what about the exports from here to other parts of the world? Because we're now producing more and more of our own wines, some very good spots wines as, as you've shown us many times um are we suffering or are we doing better now because of the weak pound because sometimes exporting is helped by a weak pound isn't it yeah well it's english wine is going to feel a little bit better value because of that but to, to be honest you know the price we're talking about for english wine is substantially higher than what the average person yeah. is paying at the moment right so it's a slightly different story but yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't have the exchange rate problems for sure. And, and what is the, the latest um, sort of trend in wine? Because, I mean, looking at all of the different things that you can see uh, that you can buy, I'm looking here at percentage of alcohol drinkers who drink each selection. Crisp white at the top, I suppose we shouldn't be surprised, Sauvignon Blanc or Pinot Grigio. Yeah. Malbec Shiraz, second, 38%. Prosecco, um, I'm told some, by somebody though that Prosecco sales are down a little bit. People have sort of had enough of Prosecco, is that right? Yeah, they definitely have stopped well, growing quite the same way, but they're still drunk even more than champagne, and that's probably that's for price reasons yeah. as well. But the duty on sparkling wine is even higher than still wine. Mm. It's £2.86 right. per bottle as opposed to £2.23. Right. Yeah, that is... Well, I, had, I have to admit, I did have some nice champagne at the weekend. I had some Cremant, actually, that somebody brought me from France, which very was nice. very good. Yeah. Um, and I I'll tell you one of my favourite wines that you once introduced me to, which is that German Pinot Noir that they sell in Sainsbury's. Yes. But they don't seem to sell anywhere else. Well, I haven't found it anywhere else anyway. But I love that. And I think that's my favourite red wine at the moment. Good to know. So there we are. Uh, <laughs> what else can you tell us about what are you up to? What are you, where are you going next? What, with the three drinkers? With the three drinkers or any anywhere else? Yes, well, we're heading back out to Scotland to shoot part two, which mm. is very, very exciting. And I will very soon be able to tell you about the other two things. <laughs> but um, what I can do is say that we'll bring in some of that English wine, some of that Sheffield wine we, we were talking about the other yes, day. Yes, absolutely. I'll bring Colin and AD in and maybe we can do a little tasting on air for you. Yeah, let's do that. We must do that. So is, are you looking for any support for this campaign? Can people do anything? Yes, please. Where can they that go would and be look? great. Well, the campaign is backed by a new initiative called Wine Drinkers UK. You can okay. follow them on Twitter at Wine Drinkers UK. Right. And really retweeting, using the hashtag CutbackWineTax would be really helpful. If you want to write to your MP, that would be great. Yes, because you know. they might not be there for much longer if we have an election. <laughs> they might be getting kicked out. But yeah, so... Who knows? Um, so why, what is, what's, the, what's the hashtag? Cut... Cutback wine tax. Cutback wine tax, right. So remember that. Cutback wine tax, and uh, uh, we will be tweeting some of that stuff out uh, over the course of the next uh, five, ten minutes or so. Helena, thank you very much indeed. Thanks, Helena Mike. Nicklin, uh, telling us how much tax we pay, and we pay too much tax. We should get rid of it. Uh, this is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
Now, I've often said that one of the problems that many parents suffer from uh, is the school holidays because, you know, a couple of weeks at Easter, a couple of weeks at Christmas, can be six or seven weeks during the summer and nobody's got the time to stop doing all the things that you do in order to look after the children and make sure that there's something interesting for them to do the whole time. So inevitably, they spend an awful lot of time in their room on their Xbox, on their phone, uh, on Instagram, doing, uh, looking at things they probably shouldn't be looking at. And apparently, according to a story we read this morning, uh, many parents are actually bribing them with pocket money to keep them away from their smartphones. Now, it seems to me that this is all backwards. It seems to me that parent parenting in this country has lost the plot and parents are no longer in charge of their children. In fact, the children are in charge of their parents. Let's talk to Mark Dolan, a man who knows a thing or two about parenting. Whether or not responsible parenting is in his lexicon, we shall see. Mark, a very good afternoon to you. Well, Michael, uh, great to speak to you today. I would not be the man I was if it, if it wasn't for some tough love growing up. As it <laughs> from um, Traditional Irish parents yes. who were, I would say, e in equal measure, loving and tough and hard. Yes, well, I think, I think certainly if you were to look back over the, over the decades... Our parents were much harder on us than we are on our own children, aren't we? Aren't, weren't they? 100%. And I'd love to know why. I mean, there is basically a power struggle happening in every household in 2019, any household that's got kids. And I think the reason why is because um, children have become the equals of their parents. And this is a mistake because the point of families, a family is not a democracy. All right? I mean, your show is the People's Republic of Mike Graham. It is. Your house. Your your home is the republic, is your kingdom of Mike Graham and of your, of your lovely better half. And the bottom line is that that is the order of, of nature, is that the kids do what the grown-ups say. But that seems to have gone out the window. It really does. But what about your own kids? Because um, it is yeah. uh, the midst of the summer holidays, and I don't know whether you've been away yet or whether you're going away. But you, Not there yet. Is, there is a kind of a point at which you hit the wall, isn't there? Now, sometimes that's two <laughs> weeks in, three weeks in, but you kind of look around and go, I really don't know what to do with them now. You're right. It is really hard. And there are uh, cost implications of taking them to, you know, Thorpe Park every other day. And the bottom line is that, you know, we are, we would, most people haven't got the cash and they don't have the time uh, to really give their kids that input. So it is tough. And I sympathize as a father of two. Um, but what I would say is, for example, um, we can't stop iPads or Xboxes or uh, smartphones existing. We can't make those not be there. So we, you know, we're, the digital universe is here, it's here to stay. But I think it's a very powerful tool if we control it. And I use access to the iPad as an amazing um, incentive for my sons. So I get them to do jobs around the house, get them to finish up with homework, um, maybe go, go to a park and kick a ball around. And I go, when you've done all that, you get back and have half an hour on the, uh, on the PlayStation. And they really seem to respond to that. I mean, at first it's a struggle, and there are times, obviously, when I lose the battle. But I think what's troubling about this story in the mail is that it seems like parents are giving their kids unfettered, unlimited, uncontrolled access to these devices, and that's the problem. Yeah, it is the problem, absolutely. I mean, but, but, I mean quite often when you do ask children to do things around the house. I don't know how old your kids are, but mine are sort of generally of the of the variety where they there's a sort of harumphing sound and they very <laughs> slowly wander across to wherever they're supposed to clean or move and then take yeah. a very long time doing it and not very well. Well, I know. Mine are... Uh, I've got two boys and they are uh, 14 and 10. And, uh. and, of course, it, it is a struggle. But the funny thing about human nature is that we all respond to... Um, a sort of bit of a carrot. I mean, I think it's carrot and stick, isn't it? Stick is 
thing is, like, when you have to raise your voice and lay down the law and yeah. say, I'm sorry, you know, here's what we're doing today. Um, but a bit of carrot as well, because I think actually, you know, there are some advantages to the modern era in the fact that, you know, you go back to Victorian times, so the old saying with children should be seen and not heard. And, you know, the bottom line is it's great to integrate kids. And they are, I think, generally much more sort of um, confident, self-assured than previous generations. So I think there are positives to uh, letting kids uh, be more sort of um, independent and, and, you know, masters of their own destiny. But you still must keep that rule that you're in charge. I mean, I remember, you know, I think, do you know, I think the key word that's missing at the moment in the current era, Mike, is discipline. Yeah. You know, I just think our, our kids, and it's not their fault, it's our fault, this permissive society that says you've got to have treats every day, life's got to be so pleasurable. And I think we, we are we're selling this generation a bit of a lie in terms of what life can be. But the, what we're not explaining is that there's lots of struggle, there's lots of pain. And for example, the world of work now, and people go on social media and they think, right, for a job, I'm going to be an influencer on YouTube or I'm going to go on. I'm going to go into, you know, uh, I'm a celebrity. Um, it's like, well, no, actually, because the vast majority of the workforce have to do jobs that they don't massively right. love. But they just get on with it because that is life because it's not all, you know, it's not all um, a bed of roses. Well, it really isn't. Do you give your kids pocket money at the moment? No, funnily enough, I don't. Um, I'm quite divided about it. Um, I feel that, especially the 10-year-old, I don't want him to be commercialized this early in his life. Um, what I generally do is I sort of take an overview, which is that um, if I feel that he's doing well at school and he's making an effort and he's finishing his homework and he's a good lad around the house, um, then if he asks for something on its merits, then I'll be like, okay, go for it. So, so in a sense, he gets his pocket money through um, occasional items. Yes. So, so he doesn't you know, 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 for maybe, example. Maybe he wants... He wants to sort of maybe download a game on, on the, uh, the PlayStation, and some of those are quite dear. Yeah. I think to myself, well, it's been a couple of months, and um, he's been a good lad, and he, I've just got his school report. And I'll tell him, I'll go, do you know what? Let's do that, because you, you, you're, you're doing your bet. You're putting right. your weight. And if that so works, I, 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 I that's quite good, it. though. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not going to, you know what I mean? I don't want to pull the wool over your eyes, Mike. Um, it's I, impossible I to involved, do that, you know that, don't you? A, a lot of the time, I mean, it's, it's you know, fighting a losing battle. <laughs> I mean, my 14-year-old, my the biggest struggle I have with him is that he, he doesn't want to walk anywhere. How weird is that? Really? He, he refuses to walk. Right. Um, he, he, so what I mean is he's massively into exercise. So he goes climbing and running and plays tennis. Right. And, and he plays sort of uh, academy football. He couldn't be more active. Yeah. But if we were away, we were in Cornwall a couple of weeks ago, uh, could I get him to walk from the hotel, you know, up a hill? Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I mean, they're all a bit like that, aren't they? Because they get spoiled, they get mollycoddled, they get sort of used to being given. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, I didn't get to say to my mother, what do you, you know, can you make this for dinner tonight? It was just, we got dinner, you know, and whether we liked yeah. it or not, yeah. you know, we yeah. had to eat it. And sometimes it was pretty, you know, ghastly, to be honest, because my mother was a, a full-time teacher. She wasn't much of a cook, and she didn't really get into it. My dad couldn't really cook at all. We used to dread him cooking when she was away for some reason, because he was even worse, you know. But nowadays, right. it's like, you know, I go back at the weekends, and it's like, you know, they're sort of demanding this for dinner and that for dinner, and, you know, this is what we yeah. like. And I do give them pocket money on the basis that, um, you know, I want them to kind of understand that, they can have a reward for being good. I mean, it's not that different from what you do, but it's kind of, I try, I've tried to make it a regular thing so that they can look forward to getting some money once a month or something like that if they've been reasonably good that month. 
I definitely think so, and I'm, I'm seriously considering it now for the team because he's asking for this and asking for that. Well, because otherwise, and, uh, I mean, the, what, yeah. the, the problem is otherwise is you get to the point where they start asking you for money. Before you know where you are, you've given them 100 quid, you know? Well, you're right, you're right. It does, it does add up. Um, and I think, do you know, the biggest thing um, is that um, I think, uh, you know, this, this generation, that they have to understand that you're doing the task for the sake of it and, and for the sake of doing it well. I will never forget the fact that my dad taught me to polish my shoes when I was about seven years of age. I bet you, I did your old man teach you to polish shoes. Um, I, think he may, I think he may have done, yeah. Not that I do it now. But he, well, no, of course not, because you've gone all media, haven't you? And you, you're in your Converse and all the rest of it. No, like, you must be you joking. Know. You've never seen, no, I, wear, I only wear boots. That's all I wear. Oh, oh is that it? Is yeah. that it? Okay. Well, look, um, look, the bottom line is that, you know, I, I think um, we are, we're not, we, we're doing our youngsters a disservice. Because, uh, do you know, I think the best word in the English language for any parent is the word no. Yes. And I think we've forgotten that word. And I think what people don't realise, and, and it like, comes from the right place, people want the kids to be happy. So they think, if I say yes to everything, that'll make them happy. It will not. No, it I think, you know, I think the word no is actually a word of love. And, and the reason why I have love is because it's harder for the parent to say no. Yeah, no, I think it is harder, and that's why a lot of parents don't want to do it. Because so many parents that I know now don't want to be thought of as ogre-like, don't want to be unpopular with their own children. You know, right. the bottom line for me is is they'll always love you and they'll always respect you if they don't like you very much because you made them stop doing something. That's their problem, not yours. But what will happen is they'll keep loving you, but they'll respect you more. And um, I think, like, for example, you know, I'm going to launch a, a bit of a cruise missile now, okay. Michael, which, which is that... I think if you allow your children, especially younger children, unfettered access to an iPad or, or a computer or a smartphone, you do not love them enough, okay? At least <laughs> you, are, you are certainly not doing the heavy lifting that you're supposed to do as a parent. No. You've taken, taken the easy way out. I agree it with is you. unacceptable to let a kid sit on an iPad all day. It's terrible for their physical health and probably their mental yeah. health as well. And here's no one, one, here's one, here's one on for you, right? Here's one for you. Well, my youngest son asked me yesterday, he said, because we're going away soon, he said, can I, um, and his mother said, he's got a question to ask you. I was like, okay, then, what is it? Can I bring um, my PlayStation on holiday, right? Oh, my God. To which I said, well, what does that involve exactly? What does that entail? Do you want to just bring the, yeah. you yeah. know, the, 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 the little... Uh, the console little, or the... Yeah, joystick. the console, what do you want to bring? And he wanted to bring the whole thing. So he wants to bring, like, the entire, like, the box plus, uh, you know, the little um, joystick thing. And I yeah. said, no, absolutely not. You must be joking. I said, apart from anything else, you're not going to put something like that on a plane in case it breaks. Correct. It's worth an awful lot of money. And Correct. you can spend 10 days away from it. Uh, it might actually do you a bit of good. And he um, was fine. Yeah, he didn't, it, he it, didn't it, throw a tantrum. He didn't say, you're the meanest father of all time. I've never met anybody so awful. He just went, OK. Yeah, that's it. Um, and then what you can do is you can say, you know, when you get back, um, when we get back, you unpack all your stuff, and if we feel like you know you're all all done with the holiday, then you know jump on it because you've been away from it for yeah. a couple of weeks and, and knock yourself out. And it is all about that. It's that positive positive messaging. But you've done him a big favour. And the, one of the biggest things is that now that there's no PlayStation there, um, he can actually explore the area. I'm assuming you're going abroad. Yes. So there's therefore plenty to see in another country, another culture, food, drink, views, exercise, exactly. activities. You know, rather than stuck in a hotel. Um, shooting the enemy, whatever no, the game is. I know. Now, my final question to you, Mark, you may or may not wish to answer um, because it's quite personal, but here it comes. Do you bribe your wife? Yeah, I mean, that's obviously 
You know, when I when I said <laughs> that the family is not a democracy, and we I mean, especially my marriage is not a democracy. Well, certainly not. She has full control. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I bribe I bribe not really with money um, or gifts, but um, with activities. I uh, know, careful. <laughs> um, so, for example, if I'm in trouble, I do a lot more housework. All right. So, do you just, is, is, is it one bribe? of those like she knows bribe? you've been up to no good if you bring back a bunch of flowers? Oh yeah, no, no, that's a red tip. That's an absolute. I mean, she knows I couldn't pull off an affair anyway, but uh, but yeah, she sees she sees through it all. I'm, I mean, it is. Uh, I'm just on my best behaviour at, at all times. Quite right fact, too. Very glad you know, to hear it. There is there is, and actually, I'll be honest with you. When my kids see the hierarchy and they see me getting yelled at by she who must be obeyed, yes. they they accept. They go, okay, that's the order of the universe. I shout at them, she shouts at me, and at least then we're sort of, there's something I've got with the boys. Oh, so right. You're, yeah. you're, you're not the only one, sir. That's good. That's good male bonding, that. Very good. Well, listen, Mark, thank you very much indeed. Have a lovely week. Uh, Mark Dolan there giving us the benefit of his uh, experience and knowledge of running the household, or at least not running the household, being part of a household, I think I should have said. Uh, but do you bribe your kids? Uh, probably. I would say sometimes you do. 0344 499 1000. You've got any great tips for people? By all means, uh, tweet them to us at Talk Radio. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far enough. <laughs> the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, 03444991000. Helen Nicholas is going to be joining us very shortly to tell us why wine is so heavily taxed in this country. Stefan says, never mind GPs, Mike, I've self-medicated pulling five teeth with pliers. Surely you haven't done that. You're winding me up now. Let's talk to Marie in Castleford. Hi, Marie. Hi, good morning, Mike. Morning. Hope you had a great birthday. I hope that wonderful family of yours. It was very nice, week. thank you. I, I did over, I, I made it last all weekend. What can you tell I us about... I thought you might. What, yeah, what, good what, excuse. <laughs> <laughs> what can you tell us about the NHS? Well, what it is, I'm uh, as a family that has suffered a registry from tonsillitis. I'm really sorry, but Dr Mark did a very good job of skirting a lot of your questions. And yes. I just wanted to disagree with him completely because the doctors won't give you antibiotics. We need amoxicillin when we have um, tonsillitis. Both myself and my daughter had it just about three months ago, gave each other it. We had big, large blisters on our tonsils, which you can see with the naked eyes. You don't even need a doctor. Right. Um, and, and they wouldn't give us anything. It took us about three weeks until we got amoxicillin. Um, so had I have been at work, I would have had, three, had to have had about three weeks of work before I got a medic. You know, we kept giving us some different forms of penicillin and I kept telling them that, that they wouldn't work uh, and kept going back. And then in the end, they gave us amoxicillin and within 48 hours, it had all gone. Yeah, and this is uh, the thing, I don't I understand why they won't do that uh, straight away, you know? I don't. Well, I'll be honest, Mike. When I go anywhere where you can buy amoxicillin legally, so last year we were in Mexico, yeah. and you can buy it there, um, and they openly promote it to the English tourism because they know how difficult it is for us to get a prescription. Yeah. Um, but I think it's about something like $25, and I will buy it when I'm there, you know, so that I don't, and I will self-medicate when I come home. Yeah, I, I think... 
I think Sorry, that's very, I think I think that's very sensible, and I think a lot of people, if they could, would do the same thing because you Absolutely. know why not? You you don't want your kids to be suffering for five days until the doctor suddenly decides to give them something. You know that's not good enough. No, and they will let them suffer. You know, I mean, I've only got one, and unfortunately, she was born prematurely, so I've had quite a lot of problems over the years with her. And I know when she's taller, and we're not frequenters of it unnecessarily. You know, we go when we need to go. And they should take that into consideration, you know, that I agree some people like you, you can see that they're there quite a lot. But yeah. common sense tells you, Mike, whether people, you know, where, you know, if you go back and there's quite a lot of history of tonsillitis and you can see that amoxicillin works, then why would you deny the patient of it? You know, why would you let them suffer? I, I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense at all. But listen, great call, Marie. Thank you very much indeed. See, Marie is saying exactly what I was saying, that many, many people now are actually self-medicating because they can. And if you can go and buy amoxicillin in Mexico when you're there on holiday, then you'll do it. And to be honest, you've not, uh, and I would not advise against that, to be honest, but then you are basically self-medicating. You don't know what the proper procedure is. You don't know how long uh, or how many pills you should give. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.